Welcome. You've tuned into the NCO Guide podcast with your host, Command Sergeant Major Dan Elder, U.S. Army, retired. The NCO Guide is your source of uncensored discussion and commentary specifically for U.S. Army non-commissioned officers. You can tune into our podcast, sign up for our blog, or follow us in social media channels for professional discussion and sharing of knowledge and information between me and my guests and our subscribers. You can reach the NCO Guide online at danelder.com. Go there using your computer or smartphone. Leave us comments or click on the Ask a Question link. Click on the Ask a Question link. The NCO Guide is sponsored by pptclasses.com, the pre-made military training site. Now, drop your rucksack, pull up a footlocker, and prepare to engage your brain housing group for another episode of the NCO Guide. Hua? Hua. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back. This is, uh, this is Dan. Uh, glad to be back here on the podcast. Let me go ahead and add a little volume to this thing so I, I sound a little better. So, so welcome back. Uh, episode number 12. Uh, we, we rolled out the podcast. We relaunched. Uh, we we put in uh, some um, some more effort into getting these podcasts out on a on a regular basis. You say, "Hey Dan, you got a mouse in your pocket." So far, I'm only hearing you working working to line up some some guests. Uh, I'm talking with some people, and and uh, we'll definitely get my pal Archie Davis back as well to to help in the conversation. Uh, I want to offer some variety. Uh, I want to be able to reach out to. Uh, those within the community and, and have some conversations. Uh, episode 11, we had a special request uh, to, to look at the guard and, and reserve as well. So I'm going to try to provide a variety of leaders uh, and perspectives on, on some of the topics at hand. Uh, just, just bear with us as we're kind of ramping up. One of the challenges that, that I saw when I first uh, started the effort in, in 2013 uh, uh, to put together the NCO guide and the blog and the podcast were there, there was some stonewalling. That's probably not the right, right word. There was some uh, reservations for still serving leaders to go on mic, uh, either personal reservations or organizational reservations. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, collectively uh, the army or or those in it have adopted uh, podcasting as a and blogging as a true form of. Uh, public relations, you know, a lot of people will sit in front of a, a microphone for TV and radio without batting an eye, you know, especially if they have their public relations officer nearby or with that blessing. But it gets a lot more flakier for some people when you talk about uh, non-traditional uh, communication methods like podcasting. Uh, but I'm I'm on it. Uh, I think I have some some, some friends and uh, neighbors and, and those who, who get it. And uh, as I identify those who are willing to sit down on mic, uh, we'd love to. We've brought you some great guests in the past. We've had uh, retired sergeants majors of the Army Senior Enlisted Advisor, the chairman, the first one. We've talked to NCOs and senior NCOs. Not all of it's been in 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 podcast or in voice format. We've got some writings for you. We got some thoughts. We got some vignettes and stories, and and you know some 
reactions to incidents and events. So uh, again, we're trying to provide a variety of communication conversation through written and spoken format. I had somebody talk with me just this week and said, hey, Dan, uh, you know, I, I like to work out, uh, you know, when I'm traveling, I like to hear things on, on you know, by voice. And, and they asked about uh, about books and, and book reading. And, and I think some of you know, I, I've got a book coming out, uh, one, a couple of books, but uh, I've got a book coming out in July. And so we kind of dialogued on it. And I think a podcast is a good alternative to that. I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not of the, of the caliber probably to be a, you know, a, uh, you know, an audio book. However, I think this can be an extension to those type of tools. And, and I understand it. That's why we have the podcast. There's not many venues that I've seen where soldiers from a grassroots effort, uh, you know, because there are some command information channels that are very, uh, very uh, managed, and uh, when when you're in kind of a managed environment like that, people may not always be as open in open or uh, or even consider alternative or or you know topics that may be a little controversial. And not that we only are, or you know it's not like we're driving conversation to controversy. However, some topics, particularly when you operate in the in the gray area uh, of army operations. Sometimes there are a number of opinions, and you know, when you talk about things like leadership, uh, or you know, how do you uh, take a challenge, and then what techniques can you can you bring to bear? It's it's you know, it's like buttholes. Everybody's got a, an opinion on this, and really, it takes the listener to probably take in a number of positions, both pro and con, and then weigh them and then use their intuition, use their experience, use uh, those around them, uh, use their chain of command or NCO support channels to help them come to those conclusions. So again, we never profess to offer the answer. There, In some cases, there is no one true answer. Uh, it's situational based and, and it's, uh, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of variables that we can hardly uh, imagine in some of the complicated issues that leaders deal with today. However, we hope to be another voice uh, that has that con- that's carrying on that conversation that allows you to to formulate those opinions. So uh, again, that's what we're about. Welcome back to the podcast. If this is your first one, give us a give us a hit up on uh, Facebook or or uh, come over to the blog at ncoguide.net. Make sure you go to ncoguide.net, not not com. There's no hyphen or, or anything in there. You can reach us on uh, the hotline, 254-853-4410. Uh, if, you, if you don't mind, if you're going to make that call, if you want to be uh, anonymous, if you don't want me to play your audio, just tell me in there. Uh, I, I won't play it if you ask in, in, in the uh, phone call. But if you if you do call, I'm going to assume that uh, you're also volunteering to to hear your voice and, and even your name on uh, you know on the podcast at some point in time. Again, if you just want to use your voice or not, you know, you want to go nameless, that's that's fine. But I'm a fan of sign your work. Uh, you know, if you've got something to say, uh, feel free to you know say it. Uh, I'd encourage you to uh, you know attach your name and who you are, and you know if you've got some bona fides that uh, come that that you bring to the table. Uh, about why you can talk about it, feel free to do that. You can get this podcast, of course, on our website uh, and iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes. We we just got added to Stitcher. So, you know, whatever, if you've got a podcatcher, a favorite podcatcher that you like and you don't see us out there, give me a holler. But uh, we're up on Stitcher now, for so feel free to, uh, to tag us there. Okay, well, we only got a little bit of time, so let's get to it, right? You know, enough. 
yak in my jaws. Uh, let's talk about a couple of topics this week. I'm going to try to bring in some benchmarks, uh, and I'm going to lace them through the conversation, which will kind of be uh, milestones or, or, or guide markers for me as, as I carry on this conversation. When it's a one-man conversation, it's it's, a little, it's easy to get off topic, and you know how us commands or our majors are. We, we can ramble. We love to hear ourselves talk, so I, I could find myself missing a signpost if, if I don't lay out some markers or some breadcrumbs to get me back. So I'm going I'm to try that this week. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback, uh, what your thoughts are. But I want to start off a conversation here with y'all about a conversation I've been having uh, in, you know, in social media. And, and just, just a plug because I, I use it and I hope you all do too. Uh, Rally Point is, uh, is kind of one of my favorite go-to commercial social media sites. And, uh, uh, you know, I, if if you tracked my, my my history a bit, you'll see that that I'm really grounded in in uh, you know online forums and social media uh, for soldiers and non commissioned officers, uh, having created the uh, NCO.mil community uh, back in 1997 and gifted it to the Army in 2005. Uh, right now, the the Army's uh, collaborative community is is uh, is Millsuite. And uh, as an early adopter to Millsuite, uh, you know, I kind of like to believe I, I helped that thing uh, come along. However, as a retiree, I can't get on any longer. And even though I've created communities and built communities on there, just by the virtue that uh, uh, my ID card's blue and not white with a, with a smart chip in it, I guess I'm not uh, of the type of, of caliber of people we want engaged in discussion, sharing and exchanging lessons in the Army. So I can't use uh, Mill Suite and their, their their tools like any other retiree. Uh, however, you know, we, we've got to look to the commercial sector to continue to dialogue and, and share and exchange information. Uh, so RallyPoint, uh, RallyPoint.com is one of my you know, is one of my top go-to sites. And if you're there, uh, you know, tag me, uh, friend me or something, uh, I, I, you know, just let me know you, you follow me on the podcast and you know, I'll be glad to, to link with you. We can follow each other's dialogue and conversation and, you know, any questions, you know, we, we can, we can always, you know, converse there. And it's a little bit more protected probably in the open or, or than on Facebook. The, the, the conversation that I've uh, spent a little time on this week is, uh, it's a year old conversation, but like a lot of things, uh, people sometimes get, get you know, the same ideas kind of come around and, and go full circle. It's like anything in the army. If, uh, you know, uh, what was old is new again. Uh, there's some recommendations. Somebody asked the question is, is, hey, why don't we bring back the specialist rank? And, you know, as you kind of look at the enlisted hierarchy, you know, the, the grades are pretty straightforward from, you know, private to private first class. And, and then you get to the, you know, the, the, the pay grade E4, and there's kind of two different grades there, uh, a, a specialist and, uh, and, and a corporal. And I had a request to the blog uh, last week and, and somebody was asking me about corporal stripes. Hey, how, you know, uh, I'm in this type of unit and uh, uh, I'm trying to get, we're, you know, we're short NCOs. We don't have enough non-commissioned officers. And I've got this high speed who a specialist who is doing a great job and I want to make a team leader. I'm trying to get this leader promoted to corporal while they await for the proper sequencing uh, of points or positions or vacancies that you didn't go into why. Uh, he wasn't able to promote him at that moment. It could be time and grade or service. Uh, but the question to me was, is my leader says there's no authorization for a, a corporal. Uh, so because of that, I can't laterally appoint them. What's the deal, Dan? Well, you know, my caveat always, I don't speak for the chain of command. And 
You know, I am not an Army regulation. However, my experience shows uh, a couple of things. One is if uh, the the authorization document for personnel in the Army uh, is your your MTNO, MTONE, uh, your your modified table uh, of or- organization and equipment, uh, or your TDA, which is uh, your 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 authorization document. What is that? What the hell does that stand for? Uh, Old timer moment. I'll I'll come back to it. But a table of distribution and allowances, and that's usually in a non-operational uh, unit. It's using the generating force, a TRADOC or uh, material command or, or other places that, uh, you know, forces command in a lot of cases uh, or, or you know, service component commands or, uh, or, or, you know, some of the operational commands in the Army Reserve and Army National Guard. So that is where the document comes from. And you got to go to the source document. And I tell you that because too many times you go and where you get it is from your supply sergeant if you're at the company, uh, and, uh, you know, commander, first sergeant, leaders usually have access to it. Or you can go to your S4. Uh, they, they also have it. You, know, you can go to your property book officer. There's a number of sources to get the document, but it's important that you get the actual document. Many times, uh, you know, what I would always do as a leader, before I, once I kind of figured it out, uh, I, I, I would always, before I went into a section or, or, or a company or a unit, I would always, one of the first documents I would get my hands on, uh, would be uh, the 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 T O and E. Uh, the other things I'd get is you know command philosophy, you know maybe the command briefing, uh, if there are any key policy letters. But those were always the things that I would get right up front, so I can become smarter on my organization. And and nine times out of ten, when I would go to the supply sergeant or you know the S four or whoever uh, I needed to, and I said, hey, I need the T O and E for my section. Uh, you know, I would get a a slide, a PowerPoint slide, or a homemade graph or or some chart, you know, when, when, I, when, when I came in the Army, there was no PowerPoint, but uh, Harvard Graphics transitioned in uh, well before PowerPoint, which was the slides, uh, the, the slide, uh, a tool of choice when, you know, the, the, the explosion of computers. So, you know, we, it, it's not like we didn't have our own charts or, or uh, Excel-like uh, spreadsheets, but they're always homemade. And uh, when when I really had to drill down and explain to them that I wanted the uh, the use of FIMSA document that's the that's the uh, agency that that manages the database uh, at the Department of the Army that has uh, all of the personnel authorizations and equipment authorizations uh, with all the specific information like line numbers and and uh, you know things like that position numbers that's the document you go to that is your source document. So once you do that, go to your section. You can find your section, uh, your squad, your platoon, your company, uh, or your battalion. And, and once you go in there, one of the first things you'll notice is by personnel authorizations, uh, it, it lists by grade, by kind of grade banding. Uh, so you know you'll see some skill level ones. You'll see uh, you, know, you see skill level two and, and skill level three and, and, and E grades, but you don't see uh, uh, necessarily the uh, uh, the rank. Uh, and that's that's kind of a you know kind of a specialty thing. And what I, what I tell you is you can uh, you know you, you when somebody tells you they don't have an authorization for a corporal, I suggest to you, except maybe in specialty units, but in general terms, there's not an authorization for corporal anywhere in the army. That's right. There is no authorization for corporal. There's an authorization for an E4 slot. And you know, there's some people who say, "Hey, you don't call them a, a, a pay, you don't call somebody by their pay grade. You call them by their rank." And, and I acknowledge uh, those 
OCD personnel who choose to have that kind of opinion. But there are times where the conversation uh, requires a discussion about rank versus grade. So uh, what I suggest to you is is there's there, there, there's there's a there's a, a junior non commissioned officer today wearing a corporal stripes. Uh, and there's no authorization for them. Now, there's not a there's not a prohibition against corporal. So you really have to go back to the uh, to the guiding uh, enlisted promotions uh, regulation, and that's really where you get your information from. And and really, it's an it's an administrative uh, action, and that administration administrative action uh, commanders authorize. Uh, it, typically, it's done at the company level. You know, at a, a, a DA form forty one eighty seven. You know, you make a request. You know, you, you do it through your SID purse channels, and uh, you make that request, and it goes to battalion, and, and you know, the battalion commander approves it uh, or disapproves it. It's it's a battalion commander action traditionally, and and it's a lateral appointment. It's not necessarily a pro- a promotion. It's it's a lateral. So. Uh, I suggest to you, uh, if you are in the situation, uh, really you've got to sit down and and work that action, and uh, you've got to take it to the right leader who understands the process. And uh, when it's something new, if there's nobody else doing it, and you're the only one asking, you know, make sure you got your ducks in a row, uh, justification. What is it that uh, drives you to make this recommendation? Uh, you know, show your shortages. Uh, show, you know, not that you have to educate your leaders, uh, but sometimes a refresher from the regulation uh, will help out. And, uh, you know, a, a copy of the excerpt of uh, the uh, reg, uh, the enlisted promotions reg that discusses the the, the uh, appointment of corporals might, might, might help along. So uh, that the, the discussion, though, goes back to specialists. And, and this is this is from a, a guy who spent a moment uh, kind of uh, reading about, learning, and thinking about the specialist rank. Of course, we've had specialists in the Army since 1776. Uh, if you kind of think about the men on the line, uh, and, and yes, it was a, it was not an integrated Army when we formed, uh, though there are some, some great stories of, uh, of people, uh, of, of females who've served alongside uh, soldiers, either uh, formally or informally, and one of them is my, my favorite is uh, Annie Etheridge. If you get a chance to look up Annie Etheridge, uh, who 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 was promised a horse and a promotion to sergeant uh, uh, by her division commander, uh, it's it's a pretty interesting story. It's pretty fun, uh, but there's also been you know examples of of, of women uh, who have hidden their gender just so they can serve uh, their country and, and their nation, particularly at war. So uh, obviously, the Army of 1776 was 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 an army of men. And, uh, you know, the men were on the line and you, you remember how we fought, you know, shoulder to shoulder, uh, uh, in kind of that, that those battle formations, those who guided the formations were, were typically, you know, what you might consider a specialist, the, the, uh, the, the drum and fifer and the color sergeant. They're the ones who guided that formation. So if they had to, if they had to, uh, a wheel to the left or, or if they had to, you know, turn the whole formation, you know, the, the, the commander uh, or, or, or the sergeant, uh, you know, the first sergeant from behind the formation, they, they couldn't reach them all through through verbal commands. So, so they were given through signaling uh, using the unit color and uh, uh, through, through uh, bugle calls and drum beats. So that's how they navigated. That's how they, they changed or, or directed or, or, or caused battle commands, that t- battle command, a mission command to happen uh, was through the use of specialists, and and I recognize all the way till even today, uh, 
we have, uh, you know, if you kind of think of a specialist as the, you know, the, the a highly qualified private soldier, uh, and in, you know, you're not an entry level individual. Uh, some think that there are those in the army today who would make a perfect uh, soldier uh, and continue to serve at their current rank. However, the army's up or out policy uh, is forcing some to make some choices. And the choices are to either get out if they don't want to advance and become a leader of soldiers and non-commissioned officer, uh, or what, or they are rec- or they are uh, considering that uh, they're going to the board just so they can, they can stay and do what they want to do, even though they're likely going to be a poor leader and, uh, you know, either fail or just continue to muddle along. So some think the answer is, is bring back the specialist rank. Now, if you, if you remember your, your NCO history, uh, your enlisted history, uh, at one time we had more specialist ranks than specialist, uh, the specialist, what, what it was pay grade E4. Up until 1985, we had, uh, the specialist five and specialist six. I, I remember those days. I remember the day a number of people buried their specialist rank. Uh, October 1st, I think, was the uh, – actually, it was, it was September 30th, 1985, was the last day that if there were any specialists remaining, that they were allowed to wear it. And then they all – they were all mostly converted before then. But in my unit as a maintainer, like our PLL clerks, uh, you know, supply specialists, you know, they, they were traditionally specialist fives. I remember, uh, one, you know, don't you think it was just a, uh, a, a combat service support using some old terminology – uh, they, those weren't the only ones who wore that rank. Uh, if you know a guy named, uh, 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 Sergeant Major of the Army, Jack Tilly, uh, he served as a Specialist 5. Uh, he left Vietnam as a tanker, uh, as a Specialist 5. So this wasn't only something the combat, uh, service support or the sustainers or, or the administrators wore. Uh, there were various, uh, positions or, or, or assignments where, where soldiers of a variety of MOSs, uh, had specialist rank and, and before that 1978 uh we had specialist 7 uh and and that 78 is when when that stopped and, and they actually they came around uh, I think in 19 uh I'm not I don't even try to remember the date when the the specialist rank as it is now kind of morphed from the technical sergeant that was uh, prevalent during World War II uh, however that you know there there was a whole series of specialists before that uh, the problem was there were hundreds of, of, of specialty ranks. I'm sorry, of uh, specialty uh, chevrons. Uh, it was ranks. And there, there, more than 100, I think. It was, and it was so hard to identify the variety. You almost couldn't tell who somebody was. Uh, it was really complicated, a lot like the naval system, where you can see what their rate is on their rank, uh, on, the, you know, on the stripes or, or the insignia that they wore. And the Army kind of did very much the same. And so there are all these specialty uh, chevrons that uh, enlisted soldiers wore. And it became so complicated that, you know, the Army kind of, you know, kind of narrowed it down and, and, and we tried to make it more streamlined. So, so okay, the, the question is, is about, uh, about bringing back the specialists. Well, why not? Why don't we have a career specialist? Well, let me tell you, the Army has lived through that a number of times. Uh, first off, the chief of staff of the Army made the decision to get rid of the specialist rank because that's what the MACOM commanders asked him. Uh, it was through their recommendation that the specialist system, other than the spec, you know, what we used to call the spec four, other than E4 specialist, every other specialist uh, uh, rank was uh, was 
abolished in, in 85, and it was based on the MACOM commander's request. And, and, and because of the way the Army was transitioned where we're at now, uh, you know, this was in, in 85, the decisions were made prior to 85. Uh, it, it was probably uh, a couple of years earlier at a MACOM commander's conference is, is where they probably, you know, made those recommendations and decisions. But uh, the, the Army was becoming much more complicated uh, than it had been in the past. If you think about it, the big arm, the, the Army big uh, maneuver systems were just coming into the field. The M1 Abrams battle tank, uh, the M2 Bradley uh, uh, fighting vehicle, and then the Apache uh, attach, uh, Apache attack uh, helicopter. So these three big systems were, were fairly complicated compared to the systems that the Army had before. Uh, you know, I'm not saying the M60 or or you know the 113 or the Cobra were not technologically advanced or aren't now or, or whatever. At the time, uh, this was a, a leap ahead in technology as far as the Army was concerned. And so they, we needed to recruit a higher quality uh, uh, men and women who, who could serve in the Army uh, to help uh, operate, maintain, and employ these systems. So, uh, you know, as part of a, a very conscious decision was that they, you know, we chose to, uh, to you know, up the the quality of soldier that we brought into the army, and uh, just because of uh, a couple of things that happened over time, there was the this opinion of haves and have nots. Uh, you know, the specialist, particularly pay grade Z five and E six, uh, were were junior to uh, the uh, the non commissioned officer counterpart at that rank. Uh, however, they had a lot of the same bennies and privileges. Yeah, they couldn't go to the NCO club. So you know, that really wasn't such a big deal, particularly during the deglamorization of alcohol uh, that we saw You know, at, at the creation of the Mothers Against Drunk Dri- Drivers in the 70s. Uh, the Army began to feel the pressure and deglamorize. Uh, uh, so going to the club, you know, the enlisted messes were gone, and, 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 and you know, people, soldiers, NCOs felt less inclined to uh, entertain themselves on post or, or at military establishments, you know, just because of that deglamorization. And, uh, and, and of course, the, the knowledge of, you know, uh, alcohol abuse, uh, excess use or things like DUI or, you know, the challenges that happen with, with alcohol abuse or, or overuse uh, can end somebody's career. So when, when, when you really think about it, the perks weren't really that, that many, but the perks where it mattered, like, uh, like pay and entitlements, like uh, you know, housing allowance, like uh, just just a variety of of entitlements that a soldier gets, you know, uh, jump pay or you know, demo pay, all, all of those things that 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 really kind of ser- when you really get down to it, you know, wait a minute, I'm working twice as hard as that E5, yet I'm getting the same pay he is. So for a little while, there was something called pro-pay, and there are a couple of different levels of pro-pay, and uh, you could exam or maybe a couple of of different ways you could get there, uh, but it, I think it was generally how you scored on a on an exam uh, would depend on what level of pro pay you're at. But you could get a you know a monetary incentive uh, thirty, sixty, ninety dollars. I think uh, I think it was up to you know level four or something, and uh, it was kind of like the drill sergeant pay we have now. It's one of those type of entitlements or recruiter pay uh, and jump pay and some of those others. So there was this tension between the hard stripers. Uh, particularly in the combat arms, and I think we all know the combat arms MOSs generally run the army uh, it, it, in, in many positions of authority and, and, and decision making. Uh, those from the combat arms uh, generally 
uh, serve, uh, you know, at the places where army policy is, is made and written. Uh, but, you know, leaders who weren't from there could also hear the grumbling and the groaning that was going on. Uh, and then, of course, you know, it became a challenge to manage, the, you know, to, to, the army of 85 was not as te- technically advanced as they are today. So, you know, the automation systems, uh, particularly that they were trying to put in at the time, uh, it was just so much easier to go uh, to a single system. Uh, and 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 the bottom line is is the uh, the the Macom commanders, quite frankly, uh, made the recommendation. But uh, you know, at least from the Army's point of view, it was the branches those those MOSs that uh, you know the uh, the regiments that uh, soldiers who were traditionally promoted to specialist above the rank of E four uh, those branches were, were were struggling, and they also requested that uh, the army merge to one system. So, you know, and let me close this out kind of on, on my thoughts of, of bringing back the specialist is, uh, first off, I, I, I am a non-combat armed soldier. So, you know, I, I don't by any stretch of the imagination say that I represent all 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 sustainment soldiers or or those who don't serve in a combat arm. However, I, you know, I think I was just an average Joe coming along. I, you know, I, I, I was a, a good, solid B player, uh, I, you know, I, I never was, uh, you know, valedictorian of squat. Uh, however, I was, a, I was, you know, a, a, an average B student in everything that I, I tried to do. I think, I think there are a couple of places I, you know, I probably dorked up along the way and maybe I did a good thing or two, but, but I'll, you know, high C, give me that high C, uh, you know, low B. Uh, the fact is though, is, is that I tried to be, uh, I have a broad spectrum of areas that I was in a, a B in. I think that really played well for for my future. The fact that I could be a technician, and I take pride in the fact that I was technical in my MOS. I, you know, we had cool the, the the credentialing online categories. Well, before they existed, the programs were still there. We've just got a new name on it. So, you know, I took advantage of cool, and I credentialed in my own career field and. And, uh, you know, I sought out the tough positions. You know, many times I was the junior guy, but I was leading people more senior than myself, uh, t- typically in grade. So I did that in many different instances. And I was called in to rescue, you know, squads, teams, and sections uh, just because of, of my ability. So, and I'll say that to brag, I say that just to lay the groundwork to, to understand where I'm coming from. Not only was I able to perform my functions in my MOS, uh, but then I also understood the importance of of leading soldiers, leading you know men and women uh, to do the things we needed to do. Now, I, you know, I didn't try to be the best uh, at leading patrols. I didn't try the best, you know, to shoot top gun at tank. You know, I didn't try to uh, to be the best artilleryman. That that wasn't my responsibility. There are other people that the army has selected to do them. So I focused my my efforts on ensuring my soldiers, you know, individ- they were they're proficient, their individual tasks, you know, we, we call them, uh, uh, you know, our warrior tasks and drills, our, 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 our you know, our, our battle tasks uh, and drills. Uh, so, you know, the skill level one, the individual and team tasks that we required to do. Uh, and, and then I also developed myself as a leader and I served tough assignments. Uh, I served, uh, you know, uh, on the platform as a, as a uh, NCOS instructor, you know, I volunteered for drill sergeant duty and, and served on the trail. Uh, you know, I sought out uh, positions like uh, first sergeant. Uh, and then in those positions, you know, I, I tried to do the things 
that uh, I'd been taught by my leaders and, and surround myself with good people uh, that enabled me to, uh, as a team, to uh, our team to succeed. And because of that, I, I think we generally had a good reputation. So the point being is the issue is not that we have people who should not be leaders, uh, who should not be prone to the ranks. I understand there may be some people of that caliber. However, particularly during the drawdown, as the Army, like we always do, this is not new. You know, we've been expanding and contracting since 1776. It's going to happen during your career. It's going to happen after your career. And guess what? It happened before your career. The Army always is growing and shrinking. Always. It's always doing that. Right now, we're in a pattern of shrink. Uh, we don't know how bad it's going to be today. We know that there's the potential it could be very painful Without focusing on that and how bad we're going to contract, we know we're going to contract. The fact is the Army doesn't have the infrastructure uh, and it won't have the infrastructure of the future to be able to properly manage that, I think. Uh, should that be the only reason we don't do it is because we, we'll, we'll dork it up? No, I don't know. That's probably why we don't have SQT tests or SDT tests any longer is because, you know, TRADOC doesn't have the depth to create uh, a quality program that will allow them to keep up with the system. It's really a resource problem more than anything, I think. Uh, so going, getting back, see, I, I, like I said, I, I can get off track. <laughs> going back to this discussion, uh, really, I, I don't think we need two classes of, of enlisted leaders. Uh, we shouldn't have a technical class. Well, we kind of do. And, and this is not to take anything away from our great warrant officer corps. Uh, I tried twice and failed to be a warrant officer. So, you know, and this is not, this is not sour grapes. It's that, that's my tribute, uh, to the respect and admiration I have of the warrant officer corps. Uh, the, the, the first leader that I led from, that I learned from, uh, was a chief warrant officer to, uh, Clagg. Uh, and, uh, chief Clagg was, was my direct supervisor, uh, because I was his driver for a minute, uh, and, and gave me some of the most, earliest lessons I was to learn as a as a soldier and what my responsibilities were. So I, I know and understand and respect the the Warren Officer Corps and what they do. And and with that, uh you kind of think though they are leaders as well, they are also highly specialized uh and very technical uh, in what they provide to the army. Uh in, in many cases, uh you know their 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 word, their their advice, uh people you know, they just hang on what they say when it comes to their their specialty and what they know. I'm not sure we need a second class of a warrant officer uh, in the enlisted ranks. I don't know that we need supervisors who don't have the authority or responsibility to lead soldiers. If you find an individual who doesn't have the capacity to also lead and manage, some say, Specialists could be managers, and then NCO sergeants could be leaders. I suggest you manage equipment, but you lead people. So I suggest if you find a technical leader who doesn't have the wherewithal to grow and learn and develop into a leader, I suggest early enough before it becomes too painful to the organization or to the individual, we've got to thank them for their service hang a medal on their chest, shake their hand, help them transition back to civilian life to be the best member and an advocate for the United States Army, to be you know, a recruiter in some respect. We've got the uh, Soldier for Life program. You know, we, we, we want to transition that type of individual uh, early enough before 
it becomes a drain on resources in an organization because it, it, the worst thing we can do if, you know, I'm not saying we give up on them. I, I'd, I'd much rather train them and, and mentor them to become the NCO they can. Sometimes, you know, we all just have a little bit of uh, uh, a little problem with uh, confidence. And, you know, all it takes in some cases is leaders to put their arm around a soldier and say, you're doing good. You are on a path. I see the potential in you. Those words can make all the difference when you find somebody who, who, who thinks they don't have what it takes to be a sergeant. So the flip side is, is we've got to be very careful that those men and women who don't have the capacity or won't have the capacity or resist the ability to serve as sergeants, we've got to be very careful that they don't slip through the system. And uh, the, because what happens is they... Be, if they get into positions of authority and responsibility without any desire, without any initiative, without doing the things they need to do, then, uh, you know, they can be a, you know, we see it. I'm sad to say it's, it, they're, they're, they're soldiers like that in units today. There may be one like that in your unit right now. You could be working for a sergeant like that right now. You could be surrounded by people who have, may have slipped through the systems or, or who you think have. Uh, however, the fact is, is, there are gates and there are processes that we can use. First off is, you know, uh, obviously there's a boarding process, but I think, uh, you know, that's probably a subject for debate uh, in another podcast uh, about Dan's thoughts on, on how we select, train, promote, assign, educate uh, specialists to the rank of sergeant, uh, where we have come from, where we're going, uh, and, and where we're at now. However, uh the bottom line is, is there is a process that includes the ch- the chain of command, the NCO support channel, and the commanders at the various levels who have the authority and ability in many cases, even though some may think that authority has been pulled back, there still is authority granted to them that allows them to, to select or recommend uh, uh, soldiers for promotion to the ranks of sergeant. There are other administrative actions. If you've got a poor performer, if you've got somebody who refuses to uh, progress to move forward. Uh, there are things like barter reenlistment. Uh, you can bar a soldier uh, from reenlisting, which, uh, you know, in cases that, that it applies, you know, you can flag personnel actions flag or or you can bar to, to reenlist. There's, there's other methods that uh, you have available to you. You know, you, you, you got to counsel them. The bottom line is you've got to talk with them. You can't walk in and, and say, hey, Commander, I want to bar this guy. Uh, without having done your own due diligence, you have a part in that. And it's more than a one day or a one week or a one month action. You need to show over a period of time that you have met with this soldier. You've shared your concerns and conversations. You've written down the key points and highlights. You've counseled them in a professional, uh, action plan. You, you, you talk, you know, performance counseling with them. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe even through the creation of an individual development plan, you can lay out steps that they can take to get them to that level with the IDP. And then you can use that as your as a, as a chart of milestones and to see where they're at on their progress. And I think a pattern of low or poor performance or no performance uh, with the IDP, with the counselings, with the uh, you know the performance and, and and professional counseling that that you provide, you can begin to identify those people who it appears are not going to be able to continue to serve uh, in an upper out army that has 
uh, retention control points at certain grade milestones. So uh, that, that's what you've got to do. And if you don't, and if those, you know, sometimes you inherit soldiers that others haven't done their own due diligence to prevent that. Uh, if you don't do it, then they're going to lead a squad or a team or a or, or, or a section or a platoon tomorrow, and uh, it, it could be at the detriment of our army. So uh, the specialist rank, Dan's not a fan of it. Uh, you may disagree, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, bring back the specialist. Uh, it's, you know, it, I would suggest it's one thing to pontificate without educating. We all can say, hey, I think it would be nice if we did X. But when you do that without the foresight of, what we've done before, what were some of the problems along the way, what makes it different for tomorrow. I think you you almost do a disservice to the discussion if you don't try to educate yourself on the history of the the topic that you bring to the table. So again, I love to dialogue with you. Uh, you know, I think is good. Uh, you know, throw some thoughts and ideas out to me. Uh, you know, we, we, you can talk to me on Facebook or on our blog, you know, we take comments or, or any other ways, or you can email me in private or, or wherever you want to. So that's kind of Dan's thoughts on bring back the specialist. Uh, next week, I'm looking at thinking about talking about the enlisted, the officer enlisted relationship. Uh, I'm talking with a, a new pal who's, uh, who, who wants to share some discussion with me about, uh, officer enlisted and, and he's kind of got a thought on, you know, his thoughts on, uh, he's just serving, you know, senior enlisted soldier, and uh, leads a, you know, alongside of his his commander. He, you know, he helps run a battalion size formation, and uh, I'm trying to get him to uh, share with me his written thoughts on on the officer enlisted relationship. If you have got some comments for the next podcast, uh, feel free to come on board and, and give me a holler. Uh, I, I want to talk about that for this week. One of my new segments I want to talk about is uh, I, I want to try to help listeners get to know uh, those who've gone before us, the enlisted force, the the sergeants. You know, we know the generals. Uh, you know, if you if you if you look a soldier in the eye and say, you know, tell me, you know, tell me two or three of you know your your favorite army leaders, and, and a lot of times it doesn't matter the you know the what flavor, you know, O's, E's, and W's, uh, the fact is, is you're going to hear some, you'll probably hear some very similar names. And, uh, you know, you, you can think of the Bradleys or, or the Marshalls or, uh, you know, uh, just just tons of them, uh, you know, General Ike or, uh, you know, Roscoe Robinson. There's tons of leaders that we, we look to that we hold up and elevate. Part of one of the things that I kind of call the, the the lost legacy of the non-commissioned officer court, it's not a bad thing. It's it, it's just, it, it's the truth. One of, the, because of the systems that were in place at the time, uh, where, where the soldier's stripes basically stayed with the regiment, uh, you know, a, a, an enlisted soldier could usually progress to the rank of first sergeant if they stayed around long enough, if they were scored away and did all the right things. And in some cases, if they could fight the best and drink the hardest, uh, however, uh, you know, when they would leave, if they would leave or, or change assignments, there, there was really no upward mo- mobility. There was no progress. You're really stagnant. You really didn't have a career. Uh, there, there was not a lot of, uh, incentive. The pay was, was pretty meager. You know, you, you had to forage for food in, in some cases, uh, you know, foraging, is, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a part of the, the rules here. Uh, 
I think it's a constitution. I, I need to go back and look that up before I, I throw myself uh, to the wolves on that. But it's pretty interesting about the authority for soldiers to forage. Uh, the bottom line is, is there, there, there wasn't long-term incentives for, for enlisted soldiers until very recently. Uh, and I'll tell you about that in my next segment. Uh, however, one way that we could reward uh, soldiers, uh, w- w- particularly for battlefield uh, escapades, uh, for valor on the b- battlefield, uh, was battlefield promotions. And that, that's kind of faded. If, if you think about the last 12 years, there's not, you know, I, I'm not privy to any or too many battlefield promotions where enlisted soldier was what we called the Mustangs, where they were promoted from the enlisted grade, given a commission, uh, and then allowed to proceed from there. So, so that's that's kind of a, a, an old way of, of of acknowledging and recognizing soldiers. Uh, nowadays, you know, there, there is a structure, uh, and uh, because of that, uh, other than going through things like green to gold or or ROTC or some other transition program. Uh, generally enlisted soldiers, you know, don't become uh, officers through battlefield promotion. But our history shows many of those leaders who, who kind of follow that path. So uh, one, one of the you know, names of enlisted soldier that often is on the tips of, of somebody's tongue is Audie Murphy, which is a perfect example. Uh, Audie Murphy was touted as, you know, the highest decorated soldier of World War II, uh, when Sardi Murphy and, you know, of course we've got clubs named after him and buildings and, and the enlisted corps quite often, uh, you know, idolize him as a great, uh, enlisted example of, of, uh, of, of courage and, 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 you know, heroism and, and what, what a great leader he was. However, you know, as he earned, you know, many of his accolades and, and of course the medal of honor itself, uh, were when he was an officer, you know, as an enlisted officer. And, and though he may have been an enlisted man at heart or a sergeant, uh, it's just another perfect example of of uh, soldiers. You know, guys like Sam Woodfield during World War One was you know promoted to major. And uh, you know, the fact the fact is is uh, that the soldiers are nation's military heroes, uh, uh, those of prominence. Uh, one of the few ways that we could. Give them a decent pension uh, to allow them a better quality of life in honor of their service. Uh, sad to say, was to promote them uh, out of the enlisted ranks and into the officer ranks. And because of that, uh, the the traditions, the history, and the heritage of the non-commissioned officer corps oftentimes is not as well defined or described. So, one of my segments is uh, you know kind of get to know. Uh, some of the sergeants you may, may not know about. And, you know, the roles of the Medal of Honor uh, are, are are just teeming with perfect examples of, of non-commissioned officers of prominence. Many of you have served alongside soldiers who are heroes or displayed high courage or morals or have done things that you look up to personally. You've served alongside them. You held their hand. You know, you've, you've cried with them. You've cried over them. I don't take that from any of you. I don't take that. We, we all have shared experiences in that. What I want to talk about maybe are some of the noteworthy non-commissioned officers that you may not have thought about or heard of. You know, here's an example. You know, many of you may or may not know Elvis Presley was a sergeant. He was a pretty good sergeant. Uh, it, it, you know, if you think much of uh, General Powell, 
uh, General Powell uh, had the opportunity uh, to, to serve alongside or with uh, uh, Elvis Presley uh, when he served in Baumholder, Germany as a as a tank commander. And, and he, he has some things to say in his book about about meeting Presley and how the fact is as though he he could have easily served the life of a celebrity. Uh, Elvis Presley uh, was down in the dirt and the grime and the mud. We had an area called Area Mud uh, when when I served in uh, in Friedberg, Germany, Area M, and and he of course served there as well. And I don't know if Area Mud was was around when Elvis served, but I can imagine it was. And it, you know, it, it wasn't a fun place to be. And you know, go throw some track in Area Mud, and, and I'm sure that was the kind of lifestyle Elvis lived. But he was a sergeant, and it's guys like him who uh, are you know in the background. Uh, get the things done of the Army. When people talk about the American non-commissioned officer, they aren't talking about the, the first sergeants and the command sergeants majors. They're talking about the guys like how Elvis Presley was down in, in the unit. So the person I want to talk about just, just for fun is uh, Ir- Irving Berlin. Now, you, you may know the name Irving Berlin. You may have heard it. it you know, just, just me saying it may say, hey, I've, I've heard that name. And Irving Berlin was a sergeant. He was drafted uh, during World War One. Uh, he, he, we went to a mobilization kind of stationed, uh, uh, in, uh, Camp Upton, I think they called it. It was on Long Island in New York. And Irving Berlin was not the best soldier. Uh, I remember reading Annie Rooney's book. If you remember 60 Minutes and he was the old codger that was on there some years ago. And, you know, he'd always say, do you ever think about kind of a, you know, just an old kind of crotchety guy, just about like every other sergeant major that you know. Uh, with these big crazy eyebrows, and Andy Rooney was a soldier. I remember reading his book, and I'm thinking, well, God dang, I'm glad I never came across Andy Rooney because he's a he's a terrible soldier. And he was he with pride would talk about how he would, you know he'd sneak around and what rule he can break. And and well, Irving Berlin was a lot like Andy Rooney, I think. And uh, he, he 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 of course he was a he was a composer. Uh, he was an artist, and uh, he created uh, a song, Alexander's Ragtime Band. And, you know, just one of them old-timey kind of songs that you, you probably heard on Great Grandma's, you know, Wind Up Wurlitzer or something. Uh, but it was a really popular song, and he was a renowned celebrity. So like Elvis, when he was, in, you know, drafted in the Army, uh, he was kind of a, a hero. Hero? That's not the right word. He, you know, he was a celebrity, so he had celebrity status. But, you know, they put him in a, in a squad, in a platoon, and kind of started getting him ready for, for combat. And, and, you know, some people got together and said, well, wait a minute, you know, we got Irving Berlin here. What are we going to do about it? And... Uh, Irving Berlin, you know, look, he had a butler, and he would have his butler shine his boots and put them under his bunk. He'd make his bed. He'd clean his area up. So while they're out, you know, drilling and marching and, and, and doing the things his soldiers do, he had somebody doing his fatigue duty for him. He was self-admitted. He said, I tried to be a good soldier, but uh, he just couldn't do it very well. He just did not uh, assimilate to the Army lifestyle. So... As time went on, he was at Camp Upton, and at Camp Upton, uh, you know, just like just like today, even you know, even in a time of war, uh, leaders, you know, the garrison commander of, of Camp Upton, they were trying to just because of the mobilization, you know, they were trying to provide more services for for the soldiers who were mobilizing, training, transitioning, and deploying off the off to the uh, European theater. So what they wanted to do is they want to build a uh, a uh, like a rec center. And so they thought this idea up of let's use Irving Berlin, let's put together a kind of like a show. You know, there wasn't a lot of movie pictures and, you know, entertainment a lot of time. Vaudeville was live entertainment. So Irving Berlin was enlisted 
uh, to help create a a a play, uh, for lack of a better term, which they then put on there in Long Island and opened it up and raised a lot of money and they were able to build it. Out of that, he and it was really kind of uh, what was the name of the play? It was uh, Yip Yip Yap Hanker. Because uh, uh, Yap Hank, I think he said Yip Yip Yap Hank was the name of the show. In it, though, is kind of a a a song, kind of like a little bit of a bugle call uh, that's titled "Oh How I Hate to Get Up in the Morning." And you know, it's kind of got the Reveille tune to it. And it's funny if you if you ever get a chance to hear the Army Chorus, uh, which I've been blessed to a, a couple of times. It's it's one of their tunes, and they'll sing it every now and then. Yip Yip Yap Yap Hank. Uh, but you know, it's kind of a it, in the song, you know, kind of a merry melody, you know, they're talking about how they hate the bugler <laughs> who's waking them up in the morning. And, you know, it's kind of almost like an army cadence and it's kind of cute, but it was really popular and it, it's still got legs and, and, and it's kind of uh, been around for a while. So, you know, the, the news is, is, is uh, Sergeant Berlin help raise the money that was needed. Uh, he served his time. Uh, he, uh, he served some time. He, he went to ship out to uh, to France, but I think they kind of pulled him back. And, and and in the end, I'm not sure they ever went overseas. I, I don't know that he did. Uh, you know, when you when you got somebody of that renown, I think they they may have, you know, ha- had some, uh, you know, some special consideration. I, I don't know. I, I can't speak for it. Uh, the fact was is uh, he did a few things when he left the service. Of course, he went on to have a very prominent career. Uh, he actually was the author of the song "God Bless America." Uh, I think we all kind of know that little ditty. Uh, he he helped raise money for for the army, and 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 I know they, you know, I think in the end they they raised a, a ton of money, and he was discharged and you know honorably, and and went on to uh, you know do great wonderful things. Not you know not only uh, for himself, but in many cases uh, you know kind of as a as a hero of, and I, and I use that term loosely of a of a of a celebrity is probably better uh, a a favored celebrity for for our nation and uh and and you know he was a sergeant i will continue to try to bring little stories and snippets and uh of, of people like irving berlin to the podcast and I, I hope it's something that you know if if you think it's good or you, you got a recommendation let me know uh, another segment i want to talk about is is what happened uh in the nco corps and uh, this week I'm going to bring you what happened 50 years ago, and you know I may mix it up. Uh, what happened this month? You know, 10 years ago, or or some other things. But you know, I'm just kind of all over the map here. So I'm thinking about how the format of the podcast is going to go, and and so so this week I want to talk about the creation of NCOES, and it was 1965, 17 August, where the chief of staff uh, directed a study of the enlisted grade structure. And he told Desper, which is the Army's G1 now. Uh, he told the Desper uh, that he wanted a comprehensive study be conducted. Now, remember what I talked about just a bit ago about the stripes of the sergeant remained with the regiment. Uh, before this study, things you know like careers and MOSs and uh, you know a lot of the you know, education of enlisted before this enlisted grade structure study had happened, you know, we were very early, and that's a relative term. I think Vietnam started officially in 59, at least our participation. You know, major conflict, though, really kind of began, you know, 64, 65 time frame. You know, you you remember uh, 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 
Geez, I, I hate it when, when I lose that. Uh, we were soldiers once and young. Uh, that kind of that kind of story. That was really some you know one of the very early battles uh, you know of large maneuver organizations. And and I, I think I was about sixty five or so. And you know somebody can fact check me on the dates, but I think it was sixty five. So this study was directed uh, to begin in sixty five, and for a number of years it continued. And it was through this important grade structure study. Uh, that many of the changes that are still in effect today uh, that really transition the post-World War II Army. You know, I mean, we rapidly, we rapidly, you know, downsized the Army after World War II. And, and the systems that were put in place were, were mainly for mobilization. And, and, you know, the Army stayed, you know, because of the Cold War, stayed at a large, uh, is a large formation, which mostly through the entire history of our country, uh, our countrymen looked down upon and discouraged and did not want a large standing army. And, you know, while the nation was surrounded mostly by, or at least our continent was surrounded by water, that helped protect us, you know, the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans, uh, you know, in, in you know pre-World War II were pretty good deterrents to keep uh, foreign enemies off of our soil. Uh, however, as technology, you know, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles, and boats, and you know all of these begin to uh, proliferate. Uh, you know our, our borders. You know the world's flat is you know some author an author coined. Uh, the fact is, is you know it opened our borders up, and we became much more at risk. So we kept a large army and really uh, kind of held on to the World War II systems, and and you know the, the war in Korea was a, was kind of a blip on on. Uh, and I, and I say that with respect. I don't mean that short-sightedly. But the army didn't mobilize, train, and deploy. Uh, it was almost it was almost an afterthought. And even our veterans of that era call it the forgotten war. So I, I don't mean that in any disrespect. Uh, but you know, in in as you lay out the nation and the army's involvement in, in conflicts, it wasn't a game changer like uh, some other conflicts. And so as we went into Vietnam uh, during you know high drafts and mobilizations uh, and deployments, the systems had to change. And and though our big army systems changed, when it really came time for changing, you know, how we, uh, what we kind of call the life cycle of a soldier, uh, how we manage that life cycle from uh, recruiting, uh, inducting, training, uh, you know, deploying, educating, uh, promoting, uh, evaluating all of these human resources, you know, these human capital events were, were, were either outmoded, outdated, or, or didn't exist. And it was through this study, this very important study that was, uh, 50 years ago this year, 1965, uh, where the comprehensive enlisted grade structure study actually highlighted many things and then allowed the army uh, for 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 years after to create programs and systems that would allow uh, change to happen and uh, it really made a difference on you know where our army went from there uh, to where they're at today. So that's kind of your your you know you, you get a double dose. My intent was to kind of split them up in the podcast. Uh, you know, uh, uh, one historical NCO story and uh, a an event of of note in the long and rich history of the non-commissioned officer corps, I'll work a little better to kind of spread them out so I don't kind of 
I don't want to front load the discussion and, and, and not kind of split that up. So uh, there you have it. Well, that music, uh, that's, that signals it. We're at the end of uh, episode number 12. Uh, hopefully uh, you got a little bit of little uh, thought out of this, a little, uh, little education and, and some, and some uh, things to uh, lace your conversation with over the coming days. So uh, thanks. We hope uh, you'll tune in again. Classes, your one-stop shop for all of your pre-made classes needs. The NCO Guide is a Top Sarge Business Solutions Productions and partners with tbsbet.com. All our music is provided courtesy freestockmusic.com. Thanks, and come back again.